Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Estella Coughlin, and you are listening to the Nest Podcast. To give a backstory, I was born in China and grew up in North Dakota. I have a huge love for podcasting, and I decided to take my three favorite things mental health, self improvement, and adoption and create what you are now listening to. Let's get into it. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Nest Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have a great episode planned for today. But before we get into the topic of the day, we're going to first catch up, see what's been happening lately since the last episode came out. I mean, I remember last episode, I didn't have much to give. I didn't do too much. And we're sticking, I guess, with that same theme. I haven't really done too much. I haven't done a whole lot since then. Just a lot of college stuff. Studying, doing homework, college stuff, and buying a ton of dorm stuff. So I haven't been doing too much. So I'm sorry that I don't have much to give you. But, you know, just working, trying to hang out with friends as much as possible, and just trying to get organized for college. It's really just college, college, college. And if you're still in high school, you maybe will experience the college lifestyle, the before college lifestyle. Because There's a lot of prep and a lot of work that goes into it. But in my college prep, I did apply for a job in the town that I'm going to college. So I am starting to get that figured out, find sources of income there during college because college is expensive and we, we need to start, we gotta pay college, we gotta, you know, be out there helping the economy and helping society. So I applied for a job. Hopefully they'll get back to me, but hoping to start a job even as a freshman in college because I, because at first I was going to wait and just kind of ease into it a little bit. But in the end, I was just like, I think I know because I know for me, I know that I like to be kept busy, and I know it'll already be a transition for me to go to college. So why I think a job will be good is, yes, money, you know, getting that extra cash in the back pocket is always nice, but I also think maybe the main reason is so I have something to do and I have something else to be accountable for. Not that that means I'm just going to skip all my classes, but I'm saying that there's something else that I have to do outside of school, right? It's, yes, do your schoolwork, try to meet new people, experience college, but then I have something else going for me outside of that. So I think I will really like that. Working, it's it's good. And also because tuition payments don't stop. And um 
yeah, you still got to be paying for stuff. Every day you're spending money. So you kind of got to get, you know, a little money in the back pocket. So that's another reason why I'm working, but mainly just for something to keep me busy. And so instead of that downtime that I have, instead of overthinking and overcomplicating things, I will be working instead. I will be working instead. And I think that is a really good thing for me personally. Because like I said, I know myself. I know it's harder for me to transition. I know if I have a lot of downtime, that I will spend that time overthinking and going through this whole cycle of guilt, stuff like that. Whereas if I have a job, I have a purpose outside of school. I can kind of get into the community. I can make some money. And I have less time to overthink because first off, I'm busy. Second off, oh, I'm like at work. And the job that I applied for is more of a fast-paced job. So, you know, you can't really think too terribly much. So just knowing myself, I really think that a job is very beneficial for me personally. But for somebody else, it may be beneficial to not get a job. Even as a freshman in college, it may not be like the whole freshman year, it may not be prudent for them to get one because they know themselves and they know that they can't handle too many tasks and they know that they're already worried about college and stressed about college. They know for themselves they wouldn't be able to handle college and a work life. So it just all kind of depends on the person, but I do think for me, a job is beneficial and will definitely have more positives than negatives. So, I guess that is kind of what my big thing of the week that I've done, besides work, college, hang out with friends, and preparation for the future, I guess you could say. But, besides that, you know, just trying to get ideas for the podcast, stuff like that. So I think that's pretty much all the catching up I have. I didn't really have too much, but I did have more than last time. But I need to start really doing more interesting things. But, you know, whatever. This is real. This is, I'm not going out doing some exciting thing just for content or just to share it. I mean, yes, that would be absolutely really cool. Um, but no, this is, this is my real, real day in my life. I, I don't do much. I work just prep, I work and I just prep for college and try to hang out with some friends at night. That's pretty much it. That's a rundown of my day in a nutshell. So that is the real day in the life. It honestly is, um, this summer. So with that being said, let's get right into the main topic. So the topic today is healthy versus unhealthy coping mechanisms. Now, first, let's define what a coping mechanism is. So according to goodtherapy.org, 
coping mechanisms are strategies people often use in the face of stress and or trauma to help manage painful or difficult emotions. So, coping mechanisms can help people adjust to stressful events while helping them maintain their emotional well-being. So, I really think that coping mechanisms very great, very beneficial, but I also think that coping mechanisms themselves are very broad. I think that they satisfy and give immediate gratification, and that is essentially what they're supposed to do. So before we get into it, I want to say this. This can kind of be like a guide and an outline for the episode. Focus on long-term freedom and not short-term comfort. Now let that settle, really digest it, focus on the long-term freedom and not short-term comfort. Now getting back to coping mechanisms. Yes, they are trying to satisfy in the short term, and they are trying to provide immediate comfort. Because usually, the most common coping mechanisms is breathing, silencing, deep breaths, you know, meditation. Yes, very good, healthy coping techniques. But it's like, okay, taking deep breaths. It's like, when you do these coping mechanisms, most of the time, people are maybe in the middle of a panic attack. And they're like just thinking of those quick coping mechanisms. They're like, okay, I remember it was deep breathing. I'm in the middle of a panic attack. Okay, let's try this deep breathing. And hopefully, the goal for that deep breathing is to calm my panic attack, calm my anxiety right now, and stop the panic attack. That is all good. That is great. What I'm trying to get at And what I'm trying to focus on is that we focus on the long-term freedom. Because with those deep breaths, we want that short-term comfort. We want to end our panic attack right away. And we want to use those deep breaths and have that provide us the comfort, that immediate comfort. Now, so... Focus on the long-term freedom. And one of the healthy coping mechanisms that I'm going to touch on today is to set yourself up for success. Now, people that know me in person, I have actually said this, and I think that's interesting that I'm doing something right, but setting yourself up for success, that's something that this summer I've kind of adapted. I have always had that in the back of my mind. Okay, how can I set myself up for success? Because what you really want to do, yes, set yourself up for success, but what does that mean? What does that look like? For me, setting myself up for success, it means doing the things now that will help me feel good in the long term. So it's all based off decisions. I said this before and I'll say it again. 
your decisions have gotten you to where you are today. You know, it's like, how are you where you are? Essentially, your decisions have got you to where you are today. That's just the truth. So, with the focusing on the long term and setting yourself up for success, so I think, okay, what decision right now that I can make right now, what decision will have the most positive long term effect? And then I try to choose that. I prefer maybe to choose the short term comfort, but to set myself up for success, I want to choose the long-term freedom. I want to choose that long-term comfort. So, for example, if I'm saying, okay, for lunch, am I gonna just have like some junk food snacks or am I gonna go and get a meal, like a salad, a grain bowl? I don't really know what the healthy stuff is because sometimes, yes, I do choose the junk food because we're all human, because that is the short-term comfort rather than the long-term freedom. Because think, long-term, which long-term, define that, but right now, long-term, it could be by dinner time for the rest of your afternoon. If you eat junk food for lunch during your afternoon, will you feel good? Will you have the highest amount of energy? Will you be in the best mindset? Maybe not. Maybe you will. Maybe your body has adapted to that, but maybe you won't. So that's where the long-term freedom, you're most likely to be the sharpest, to be the most clear in thinking when you eat a good, balanced, healthy lunch. So that's kind of what I mean a little example of setting yourself up for success. You want to find what decisions will, in the long run, give you freedom. And in the long run, that will make you feel the best you can be. And to perform the best you can be. And to be the most efficient you can be. So, just like with the junk food, that long-term freedom might not be there. You're the slave to the uncomfortness. You're a slave to the foggy mind. Whereas, if you have a balanced meal salad, grain bowl, whatever the healthy meal is, you're probably more sharp, more focused, more have more clarity. So you get more freedom in the sense that you are not a slave to the tiredness, to the not as sharp mind. Hopefully that makes sense. But so with that kind of in mind, we will get into the healthy and the unhealthy coping mechanisms. So right here, I will share, I believe it's like five unhealthy coping mechanisms. And then I'll share some healthy coping mechanisms. And then we'll kind of go from there. Perfect. So remember, keep the saying or keep the information of Focusing on the long-term freedom and not short-term comfort. So keep that in mind as we go about in this episode. So, first off, let's go with unhealthy coping mechanisms. And so, these mechanisms are used for coping with things 
such as anxiety, mental health, stress, depression, and honestly, just life in general. You don't have to have a toolbox of coping mechanisms if you don't want to. And you also, but it's very beneficial to. And I will have to say, you do not have to have a mental illness to have to have a toolbox of coping mechanisms. You are more than welcome. And I would advise that you do have a toolbox of healthy coping mechanisms because life involves trauma. Okay? Now, when I say trauma, there, this is what I like to categorize it as. Big T and little T trauma. Big T trauma is trauma you and me probably think about. The most stereotypical trauma, if you will. It's what we think when we hear the word trauma. For example, if you hear trauma, maybe you're thinking like the trauma of a loved one passing away. You know, a parent, a friend, a family member. Yes, that is very traumatic. That's probably the trauma you're thinking of. That is a big T trauma, is what I like to say. And so a little T trauma would be things that maybe you don't think about. Bullying. Maybe that's that could be a big T trauma. But, for example, like bullying, or trauma dealing with your siblings, or just a trauma in school. Like, maybe there's a fallout with a best friend or something. I really don't know. But, it's still something traumatic, but it's not what we maybe think of when we think of trauma. But it's still something that causes us discomfort and maybe emotional harm. And so everybody has trauma. I guarantee you have a big T trauma and small T traumas, plural. You have all the traumas. And so even if you don't have a mental illness, you have traumas. I can guarantee you that. And even if you don't know what the traumas are or what they mean, you have them. That's just the truth. That's just the truth. And it does stink. It, it really does. But being able to identify the traumas in your life and the more touchy and sensitive subjects is where you can utilize that. You can identify it and you can replace that and use a healthy coping mechanism. So you don't have to have a mental illness to have a tool set of coping mechanisms because life in general needs coping mechanisms. It really does. Life. You need to be able to cope with life. Life is messy. Life is beautiful. Life is ugly. Life is happy. Life is full of adventure, full of mystery, full of love. But it can also be full of hatred. It can be full of negativity. It can be full of, you know, whatever. It can be anything. Life is just messy. So you're going to need to have coping mechanisms for life. So that's how this can apply to anybody. As long as you're living, which I'm guessing if you are listening to this, 
I can about 100% guarantee you are living. So this applies to you. We all need to cope, even if it's not with a mental illness, we all need to cope with life. So apply, fill in the blank on whatever you need to use these coping mechanisms for. So, now to get into the unhealthy coping mechanisms. The first one that I have is toxic positivity. Now, toxic positivity, yes, very unhealthy coping mechanism. So it's pretty much forced positivity. It's positivity that doesn't come from genuine happiness. It teaches yourself to suppress your emotions and it trains your mind to say that your emotions are not valid and that you should not experience any other emotions besides positivity. And that is completely false because we know we all have emotions, but toxic positivity says you can only have one, and that is positivity. You can't be sad. You can't be angry. You can't be confused. You have to just be positive. And so that's where you suppress any other emotion. And I think of it like this. It's a mask. That's how I look at it. Toxic positivity is a mask. So I'm going to paint a picture for you. So imagine a sad face. And now take a mask, a smiley face mask. Put it right on that sad face. That's how I see toxic positivity as. Or here's another one. I'll paint another picture for you. You get two, two pictures. I'm not Picasso, but use your imagination. Imagine, you know, sad face, confused face, angry face. And take like a, a crayon, a, a marker, and draw that frown upside down. That, to me, is what I think of when I think of toxic positivity. You're forcing yourself to turn that frown upside down. You're forcing yourself to suppress those sad, angry, confused emotions and just be positive. Yes, don't get me wrong. Positivity is amazing. Positivity is really great, but like the golden mean, excess and deficit. That is definitely excess. If you have too much positivity, there's not room for all, there's not room for that much positivity within the emotion rank. You have, a, you have many emotions. So, Think of this, why would you have many emotions if you only allow yourself to feel one? That doesn't make sense. Emotions are healthy. Allow yourself to feel emotions. Allow yourself to cry. Allow yourself to be mad. Allow yourself to be angry and frustrated because that is healthy. It's way less healthy for you to be positive all the time. So next one, isolation, unhealthy coping mechanism. I think we can all kind of see how isolation is unhealthy because humans, we are a social animal. We, we need that human connection. We need to be around other people. Even if we don't know the people, we just need to be around people. And so if you're in a dark place, not feeling the best, depressed, anxious, in a 
low place with your mental health, one of the last things you should do is to isolate yourself, especially for long periods of time. And so that's why the pandemic was so hard for a lot of people because you had to isolate. You couldn't see your friends. You couldn't even just see other humans. You had to isolate. So that's why for some people, COVID and lockdown was so, so miserable and so hard. So even take away this pandemic and this virus, we're also talking about isolation. So just don't isolate yourself. Even if you're down in the dumps, just go be down in the dumps outside at a park. Be down at the dumps at a coffee shop. Be around people, though, because you kind of feed off everybody's energy. Maybe go to a lively place. You know, I love coffee shops. Um, Let's see, music in a park. I, I really don't know, but just be around people. Get yourself out there. Even though it's uncomfortable, set yourself up for success. Do not look at the short-term comfort of laying in your bed and doing nothing all day. Look at the long-term freedom of if you go out of your comfort zone and be in a place with a ton of people and, or even just some people when you're down in the dumps, setting yourself for, setting yourself up for long-term freedom. You're able to not be down in the dumps all day. You get to be around people. So, like I said, long-term freedom, not short-term comfort. The third unhealthy coping mechanism that I have is called fatalism. So, this I did not know what it meant, but it's pretty much preparing for the worst at all times, thinking the apocalypse is going to come and the whole world will be ending. So... It's high levels of stress, and fatalism can cause high levels of stress, and it can lead to heart problems and or depression. Not a good thing. So, fatalism is not a healthy coping mechanism, and it's also just like thinking that there will always be bad outcomes. So, let's give an example. Imagine social settings. So let's say, let me, let me give you an example. College, meeting new people, right? This is how fatalism would come into play here. I'm nervous to go meet new people, right? Now, fatalism, it would be me saying, oh my gosh, I'm so anxious, I'm so scared. I would hate to embarrass myself in front of my new peers. I would hate to be embarrassed. I would hate to make a bad impression. And let's say I'm self-sabotaging. I'm like, I'm not even going to go up and approach anyone and make conversation because what if they, what if they don't want to make conversation back? I don't really know, but it's so yeah, take this for example, college. College, making new friends. So, for example, let's say I'm nervous to make new friends and to meet new people. So, this is how fatalism would come into play. Preparing for the worst at all times. So, thinking like, oh, 
I, like, my head is saying to me, you can't go make new friends, you can't go approach that person, because what if they already have friends and they think you're weird, or, you know, you make a terrible first impression, or you accidentally trip while going up to introduce yourself and you fall right on your face in front of everybody, stuff like that. Now, from the outside, maybe you can understand it, but it's like, what are the odds of you face planning? You know, just preparing for the worst at all times. You know, because even though life can get bad and life can get rough, you also have to think life can get beautiful and life can be awesome. So, fourth unhealthy coping mechanism is repressing your feelings. So, repression, suppressing, repressing, whatever the word is, this is a self-defense mechanism. And so, people that do this often think that their feelings don't matter and that no one will care about their feelings. So, in turn, they repress them because they don't think they're important. They don't think their feelings are important and validated. So, instead of having that proven again and having their feelings invalidated, they're just going to repress them. They're not even going to chance it. And so with repressing your feelings, you're not letting your emotions out. And like I said, with toxic positivity, you have emotions. You're not supposed to just feel one, which is positivity. You're supposed to feel all of these emotions. That's why there are so many emotions. So don't repress your feelings and let them out. And so some ways to let out your feelings is through art. If you love singing, sing your little heart out. If you love drawing, channel your feelings into your drawings. If you love dance, take those emotions and your feelings and dance it out. Express it in whatever way you know how to. So don't repress your feelings. Last but not least, in unhealthy coping mechanisms, romanticizing the past. So to counteract this, I would say, you, everybody should start romanticizing their life. If you don't know what that means, look it up. I will touch on it maybe in other episodes, but right now we're talking about romanticizing the past. But you should romanticize your life. Make it interesting. So you can go look that up. Anywho, romanticizing the past. That is living in the past. That is romanticizing the passages replaying and replaying and just thinking and and almost disassociating and living in the past, which you should not be doing because what time is it? It's present time. It's the present. It's not the past. So living in the past can cause you to miss out on the present. And you know that quote? There's no time like the present. So. Stop romanticizing the past. Even stop thinking about the past and focus on the present. Be where your feet are. Look at your feet. Get that visual. Where are they? Tell your mind to be there. Be where your feet are. Be in the present. Because you will never get the present again. And if you just focus on the past, if you don't live in the present, 
what past will there be? If you don't live in the present, what past will you remember? That's something to think about. Food for thought. Next, let's get into some healthy coping mechanisms. This is the stuff, if you're feeling down in the dumps, if you're feeling anxious, depressed, life ain't going too hot for you, here are some healthy coping mechanisms that you should utilize. Do not do the unhealthy coping mechanisms, but why I did touch on those and why I did talk about the unhealthy coping mechanisms is so hopefully you will be able to identify some of them because even for me, I look at them and I'm like, hmm, maybe I have done some of those and I thought they were healthy or I just thought I was dealing with my emotions or dealing with stress when actually this is not setting myself up for success, immediate gratification, but not good in the long term, in the long run. So that's why I'm talking about the unhealthy as well as the healthy, because you want to know, knowing you want to be able to recognize if you are utilizing unhealthy coping mechanisms so you can adjust and reroute and focus on healthy coping mechanisms instead. So the first healthy coping mechanism is to validate and acknowledge yourself. Now this one is huge because not enough people do that. Not enough people give themselves credit. I know sometimes I haven't. I know sometimes you haven't. Right now, let's do a little exercise. Validate yourself and acknowledge yourself. Validate your emotions and your feelings. Okay, good. Glad that you've done that. Now, acknowledge yourself. Acknowledge your successes. But acknowledge your failures, too. And accept them. Okay, I'll give you some time. Okay, time's up. You can do it after. Now, the second healthy coping mechanism is to set yourself up for success. I already kind of talked about this. But please, please have this in the back of your mind. Set yourself up for success. Don't you want to be feeling all great and schnazzy the next day? I know I do. So, have your decisions reflect good feelings in the long run and in the future. Your actions have equal and opposite reactions. And your decisions bring you to where you are now. So choose wisely. You have a choice. You always have a choice. You always have decisions to make. Yes, you can make wrong decisions and bad decisions. But you can also make dumb decisions. But what I'm saying is to make smart decisions. Think with your head. But also think with your heart. But set yourself up for success. What's going to make you feel best later on? What is going to set yourself up for success? And do that. Create achievable goals. So instead of being like, yeah, so create achievable and attainable goals. Next, play 
the what-if game with your anxiety. Now, this one is one that I really do like to do. So, for example, everything that anxiety says to you is a what-if. Or, if it's not a what-if, it is just false. So, if it is a what-if scenario, scenario, I don't know how you say that, but you want to counteract that what-if with another what-if. For example, let's say social setting again. You're saying, oh, what if I embarrass myself? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I can't find anyone to be my friend? But now counteract this. What if I meet a super cool person and become good friends with them? What if I have a really great conversation? What if I have a really good time and just enjoy myself? What if, what if, what if? So, do you see how I kind of counteracted the negative what ifs and put something positive? It's like, what if I embarrass myself? And then you say, what if I don't embarrass myself and instead have a great time? You know, or you say, what if I don't make a friend or I don't really connect with anybody? And then you say, to your anxiety, you say, what if I get into a good conversation and what if I end up making a super cool friend? So counteract that. And also, you can say, so what if I don't connect or click with anyone? It's just one night. It's just one event. You have plenty of other events and things to click with somebody and to meet. So don't be hard on yourself, but also counteract that. Counteract the what if with the what if. Beat your anxiety at its own game. You got this. Beat your anxiety at its own game. What if? Reverse that sucker on them. Next, processing. Healthy coping mechanism. Process your emotions. Process your traumas. So what that looks like. Recalling. Not living in the past, but bringing up maybe traumatic times, maybe uncomfortable times. Processing acknowledging it, and telling yourself, after you acknowledge, say, it is okay, like, and just acknowledge, see, and tell yourself, and feel it in yourself, and have the courage to accept it, shed light on the traumatic time and experience, and take that light, and give it love, or whatever acceptance, and then put it away, put it behind you. But visualizing that, that's actually really helpful to visualize yourself like actually acknowledging and accepting a past trauma. Next, exercise. You guys have probably already heard this just in general, how great exercise is. But exercise is a really great positive coping mechanism. You know, your endorphins break a sweat, stuff like that. So, sweat off all the anxiety, all the depression, all the ick. Sweat it out, go get some exercise. Next, 
getting sun, which is like vitamins. Getting vitamins. You have no idea how great vitamins are for you. If you take some good old vitamins at the beginning of your day, every day, you will see an impact. Vitamins are great, and especially for anxiety, depression, I guess, you know, for life in general. Vitamins play a huge role. You don't want to be vitamin deficient. Maybe that's iron deficient? I don't really know. But you don't want to lack in vitamins because vitamins are something that you can just go buy at the store. Go buy some vitamins and take vitamins if you want to feel better. If you don't already take vitamins, go buy like some B12 or vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamins, and have vitamins every day and tell me how you feel after a month or two because vitamins have a huge impact. So go get some sun and some vitamin D and get some vitamins if you don't get enough vitamins. Next, painting your nails. Now, this one is for those that cope with their anxiety by biting their nails. Now, a lot of people do this. No judgment for people that do do this. For me, I do not bite my nails. I like to pick at them. But I don't bite them. But I know that's very common, biting your nails. So, good way of coping is to paint your nails. Because chances are, when you bite your nails, the nail polish will come off. You don't like the taste of nail polish. And the thought behind that is, you won't bite your nails as much. So, look for the set yourself up for success. The freedom in the long term. With those nails painted, you get freedom in the long term. You have a reason not to bite your nails. It's because there's something blocking it and blocking taste aversion or whatever it's called where you don't want to bite your nails. Perfect. Next one, read a book slash watching TV. Reading, extremely calming and extremely relaxing and a very good thing to do. But reading and watching TV because it kind of gives you an escape, kind of escapes the present. You get to use your imagination. You get to kind of be transported, reading. You get to imagine whatever you're reading, watching TV in a TV series. You're watching whatever the topic is of. So that's how it's healthy. Next, talking to a friend. We are social animals. Talk to your loved ones. Talk to your friends. It really brightens your day. I know it brightens my day, so not that it'll work for you, but because humans are social animals, I bet talking to a friend and a loved one will make you feel much better. Next, breathing techniques. Utilize some of those. Deep breath in through your nose. Longer breath out through your mouth. And keep doing that and focus on the breath. Focusing on the breath is key. If you don't focus on the breath, you're just breathing. Focus on the inhale through the nose and then the exhale out the mouth. Focus on that. Next, drawing and coloring. Like I said, anxious, stress, down in the dumps. Utilize that. 
and put it into a form of art, such as drawing, painting, you know, into music, into dance. That's pretty much what coping techniques are. Is how will you take in the uncomfortable and push it back out into the world? You can look at it like that, and that's where you want to have an art form. You know, music. I love listening to music. And that brings us to our second one, or not second, but our next coping technique, listening to music. This is one of my favorites. I love listening to music. So instead of me making music, I listen to it. I play the songs that already allow me to feel the way I want to feel. Instead of me having to, like, make the music and stuff. So instead, I enjoy the music that the gifted people in that area make. So I love listening to music. It is some of the best. Oh my gosh, music just transports you. It makes you feel a certain way. So healthy coping mechanism is to listen to music and to feel that music. It's honestly, it's awesome. I love just music. So listen to music and allow music to move you because it truly is. It's like some of the best stuff in the world. Next, looking and digesting positive quotes. I love positive quotes. Hopefully you like positive quotes. We can be positive quote buddies, but looking at them, digesting, not just reading and forgetting what you read, reading and taking it in. Next, clean the area around you. For me, All I need to do is I just need to get started. Right now, I am recording in a room that is very embarrassingly messy. And I would be so embarrassed if anybody came into this space because of how messy it is. And it annoys me that it's very messy, but I've been trying to clean all day. But I just haven't had the motivation to get started. But I really, really need to. So please send me. Some good luck my way. And hopefully by the time this episode is out, this space is cleaned. But anyway, yeah, clean the area around you because it really makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. So that is a very healthy coping mechanism. If you channel all that anxiety, depression, yuck, and and instead you take that and use it to fuel your cleaning powers, more power to you. That is awesome. That is a healthy way to cope. Next, journaling. You've probably already heard this. Journaling, great benefits. I've I've journaled before. It's really great, except I have a lot to write, so my hand gets very cramped. And then I don't like it because I don't like when my hand gets cramped. So that's a downside. But journaling is really good. Just to express yourself and just to see your thoughts and your emotions be written down on a piece of paper and to see and to write your emotions and your thoughts on the paper. Just writing something, just writing what you're feeling helps you really process it. So that's why it's a very good coping technique. Next, reflecting on your day. Yes, you can journal, write out what happened. But just even just taking a moment and going through what you did, analyzing what has happened in your day, taking it in, 
being grateful for the day that you had, or if you had like one of the worst days in your life, you reflect on it, say, okay, guess what? I made it through that day. It was a horrible day, but I made it through it, and here I am. Now I can go watch my favorite show and eat popcorn and relax by myself. So even though my day today was horrible and awful, but now I made it through it and I get to reward myself. So reflect on your day. Next, word collages. I like this one because, you know, a picture collage, pictures of like a theme or a mood or something like that. You do a word collage. Let's say you take a word, fear. You put that word smack dab in the middle of the page and you find other words or pictures or something that you, that you see as a reflection of the word fear or of that word. So this is also another good one that can help you process because it really shows what you associate what word with. Like if you did the word joy and happiness. Let's say you did the word happiness. What other words would you put around happiness or what other pictures would you put around the word happiness? And that can show you what you associate happiness with. That helps you in processing. Next, talking to a therapist. Not a lot of people have this luxury, but talking to a therapist is great, super beneficial. I hope everybody has access. I know, I know not everybody does, but if you have a chance or have access to a therapist, definitely go. You have no idea. Please go seek help. They can also give you amazing techniques to help with your specific need. Last but not least, this is the last one here. Humor slash laughter. Now here's what I always say. I always say, laughter is the best medicine. And I will stay true to that. Laughter is the best medicine. It is so good for the heart and the soul. Honestly. Ever since I was young, I I could talk about laughter and humor for days. But ever but I'll give you a brief. I I won't talk about it for days. But a brief thing is just I have always been so fascinated and I always feel so good laughing and making people laugh. I've always been the one on the other side to make people laugh. I've always been a jokester. I don't know. I don't really like that word, but I've always been funny. And because humor, funniness, laughter, it's a charming characteristic in somebody. So that's definitely helped me, you know, make friends, stuff like that. But I will say just humor in general. I love humor and I love making people laugh because there's such a joy to laughing. I honestly think so. There's such a joy to laughing and to making people laugh that I I love it. And so laughter is the best medicine. It releases stress. It's 
so, it's just so good for you. So, even if that is going to a comedy show or hanging out with your best friend, I know me and my best friends, oh my gosh, we can laugh for days. It is so, like, I'm serious. Laughter, the best medicine. Hopefully you have a funny friend because, oh yeah, they're great. And I think another measure of like friendship or relationships is if I ask like, oh, is that person funny? That probably tells a little bit at least of the relationship. But I just think laughter, humor, best medicine. So if you know like, oh, if I hang out with my friends, so it will probably laugh, have good times, go do that. It is something you should never take for granted. I know it's one of my favorite things in the whole entire world. So please, utilize that, do that, find places and people that you can have a good laugh with. And with that being said, I actually did not ask questions for this episode because I honestly started recording this episode on the fly. I asked other questions, but I I just kind of go off of what I feel like in the moment when I record. So. Here I am. I picked coping mechanisms, and here we are talking about all the coping mechanisms. So, with that being said, thank you so very much for tuning in. We will have an episode every Tuesday, or at least I am aiming for Tuesday. Sometimes life gets in the way, and I do not upload on Tuesday, unfortunately. But I am doing my best, and guess what? That is all you can do. So, thank you so much for listening. Go rate and review the podcast on Apple Music and Spotify. It helps out a ton. And go follow the Instagram at The Nest Podcast with Estella. Go follow the podcast just on whatever streaming services. Do whatever and whatnot. Um, but yeah, please utilize some of these techniques. And until next time.